Father, we just come to you as we come to the book of Genesis and uh, we look at this passage uh, on your creation of uh, the heavens and the earth and the plants and uh, later on we'll get to the animals and to the human race, Lord, and we're so blessed to be part of your creation. We're so blessed to be able to know you as our creator. Lord, and uh, one of the lessons that we're going to learn here today is just about how uh, focused you are on the things that maybe don't seem so big to this world, Lord, but that are very big to you. And I think that's a lesson you want to teach us. And so I hope today, Lord, that we open our ears to this message and to your word and uh, we learn to be like you, to, to focus on individual things, to focus on things that are important to you. Uh, Lord, the most important thing to you, I know, is your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I hope that uh, through this message and through the Lord's Supper, uh, we lift him up uh, to his proper place, Lord, in our hearts and in our lives. I just ask for you to bless our message, bless everyone in here today, Lord. I ask you to do that by the power of your Holy Spirit. I ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, today we're going to be looking at uh, the creation of the plants and the stars. Over in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 12, uh, the author of Hebrews says that the number of stars is as the sand of the sea. Now, that was written several thousand years ago, and even back then they kind of scoffed at the idea that there were that many stars as there were pebbles on the, uh, of sand on the sea and on the seashore. And so uh, for centuries they scoffed at the idea of that. And then the telescope was invented and they realized that there really are a lot of stars out there, a, a very large number of stars. Scientists tell us that there are 10 over 10 billion, 10 billion galaxies that can be observed uh, with a telescope. Each of those galaxies average around a hundred billion stars, and so that's one billion trillion stars that they can observe. Now, that's just the ones they can observe with the telescope. Now, I don't think they've observed them all. It would take several lifetimes, an infinite amount of lifetimes to observe that many stars, but they're just in, amazed when they look through these great telescopes of just how many stars out there are out there, and there's some very large stars. Uh, there's one star called uh, V.Y. Canis Majoris, uh, this red hypergiant star. Uh, it has a diameter of 6 billion miles. Now you compare that to the Earth's diameter of 8,000 miles. And this star has a diameter of 6 billion miles. You can fit 70 trillion, the mass of 70 trillion Earths into that star. That's how big that star is. Let me put it another way. A jet flying around that star at 500 miles an hour, it would take that jet a thousand years to circle that star. That's how big Canis Majoris is, and there's several stars out there like that. So you can see why these evolutionary scientists look at space and all of these majestic stars out in space and these number of, this great number of stars, and to them, the earth seems so insignificant because based upon the size of the earth, the earth is nothing more than a speck in outer space. And if the earth is a speck in outer space, what does that make us? I mean, 
as David said, I'm nothing more than a worm. Hey, you're less than a worm when you compare yourself to outer space. I mean, we're a microscopic speck. But what we're going to see today, and what you see as you look at the creation account, is that the earth is the very center of the universe. And, and as we look at the biblical creation account, that's exactly what we see. So uh, last week uh, we looked at the first day of creation where God spoke the raw material that makes up the earth into existence, and he spoke it out of nothing. We'll talk about that a little bit more today. And he, and he hung this mass of matter that he spoke into existence, he hung it out in space in outer darkness all alone. There, weren't any, there wasn't any sun, there wasn't any moon, there weren't any stars. I mean, it was out there all alone, and it was submerged in water. And I, I think the picture that God has given us there is a, is a baby in a mother's womb. It's like this baby earth was in the, mother, the womb of God, and he's about to form the earth and shape the earth into, into what we see today. And so, actually a lot nicer than what we see today. So then he, he brought shape and motion <clears throat> to the earth, what we call the electromagnetic spectrum, and he also brought light to the earth. At this point, the sun's not created, so the light that he brings to the earth is his own light, his own glory, as the creator makes himself present in his creation. And it's not until the fourth day that he creates the sun and the moon and the stars. And it's sort of matter-factly the way he creates them. I mean, look at the last part of verse number 16, the very last sentence there. Look at what it says. It says, he made the stars also. He made Canis Majerus also. Also compared to what? Compared to the earth. He made the stars also. So no matter how small the earth seems to be in relationship to the rest of the stars in the universe, it is the center of God's creation. And let me tell you why it's the center of God's creation. Because it is the home of the crown jewel of his creation. And the crown jewel of his creation is the human race. Now, as we come to day two, uh, as we pick up at verse number six, God is going to move the waters into their proper place. And, and you got I wish, almost wish I'd done a slide for you here and given you a picture of this, but maybe I can describe it for you better than a picture. Because you, really, I don't think pictures can describe something that we have never seen uh, anyway. So, so we'll try to describe it in words. But he, he's going to put these waters in proper place in order to form this perfect atmosphere and this perfect hydrosphere that uh, we have here on earth, at least as it was when it was first created. So let's read, let's pick up where we left off last time, and let's read beginning in chapter 1, verse number 6. Then God said, when God says, what happens? It is so. Then God said, God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Now that sounds a little confusing, but I'm going to try to explain that to you here in a minute. Thus God made the firmament, and watch what, it's almost like a riddle here. And he divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. Uh, and God called the firmament heaven, so the evening and the morning were the second day. Now, that word firmament simply means an expanse uh, or a space. Really, a, a, an expanse of something is, is a better 
description than just space because it, it's more descriptive of what that word firmament means. Uh, and he called that firmament heaven. Now what he's speaking of right here is what the, in Hebrew writings is referred to as the first heaven, which is our atmosphere. So what God does, you've got to get this picture here. The earth is submerged in water. It's totally submerged in water. And then God speaks, and he moves these waters. And the first thing he does, he makes this expanse of waters above the firmament and below the firmament. So there's this layer of water encircling the earth on its surface, and then he's expanded the water and vaporized it and created our atmosphere. But then above our atmosphere is another uh, firmament of water, and it encircles the earth. And it's, you could call it a water canopy that totally encircles the atmosphere. It's perfectly clear so that you can see the sun and so that you can see the stars. And so uh, it, what that did, when God created it that way, it created the absolute perfect environment. Dr. Henry Morrison, he's a great scientist, he's, he's passed away now, but uh, he founded uh, ICR, Institute for Creation Research. He wrote a book called The Genesis Record. If you really want to get into Genesis from a scientific approach, I, I suggest, highly recommend that book, The Genesis Record. But he speaks in this book about the benefits of this canopy of water over the Earth's atmosphere. And, and, and let me go over some of these. First of all, he said it would have dispersed the sun's radiation equally over all the earth. And so, it, 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 so what that would have done, it would have created this uh, global greenhouse with a uniformly perfect temperature and perfect humidity. I mean, we don't get to experience that much in Louisiana, but I know some, soon, maybe one October morning, we're going to get a cold front that's going to push through here. And you're going to go out in the morning and you're going, to, you're going to walk outside and it's going to be that crisp, dry, beautiful, temp, that perfect temperature. And you're going to say, gosh, I wish it was like this all the time. You're not going to want to go inside all day long. And, and, and that's the way the entire earth was after God had created the earth. This perfect temperature, almost like San Diego weather year-round all over the earth. Now, with uniform temperatures, what that does, that... It means that there aren't any more these great mass movements of air. And so you don't have windstorms. You don't have uh, tornadoes. You don't have hurricanes. And that also means that you wouldn't have a hydrological cycle like we have now So because you don't have the wind moving the clouds and taking them out in the ocean and they pick up the rain and it comes back to the earth and it evaporates over the earth uh, and in the form of rain. You wouldn't have those air mass movements and so... So uh, you, would, uh, <clears throat> you wouldn't have any rain and you wouldn't have any floods. I mean, we're facing possible floods right now here in Louisiana. You wouldn't have any of that in this perfect environment. The water would come up from the ground in the form of a mist, and uh, therefore you would have this plush, plush vegetation all over the world, and there wouldn't be any deserts anywhere. There wouldn't be any ice caps anywhere So you'd have this, and because you have this perfect temperature over the entire world. Let me tell you something else that canopy would do. It would filter out all the harmful uh, cosmic rays, uh, the ultraviolet radiation that hits the earth, and uh, that, those cosmic rays and ultraviolet uh, radiation 
Uh, they're the source of all genetic mutations. And so you wouldn't have genetic, genetic mutations. That's why uh, Adam's children could marry within their, their, the brothers could marry the sisters, sister could marry the brothers, because there weren't these genetic mutations at that point. And so uh, people lived longer. That's the reason you see Adam living to be 900 years old. Uh, he would have lived a lot longer than that if he hadn't ate the, the forbidden fruit, but uh, he still lived to be 900 years old. But there's some bad news about that canopy that circles the earth. That was the waters that God used when he opened the heavens and flooded the earth. And so, uh, so it's going to be used for his judgment later on. But, but at this point, I mean, what a beautiful environment it had to be, a perfect environment, uh, prepared uh, on earth for life on earth, and, and now we get into the third day of creation. Look at verse number 9. He says, Then God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place. And, and he's talking about under the, this firmament, under the atmosphere, and under that water canopy. He's talking about that water that's encircled the earth. Let it be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And so God called the dry land the earth, and he called the gathering of the waters, he called the seas, and God said that it was good. So on the third day, you've got this, you've still got this ring of water, not the ring of water above the atmosphere, but you've got this layer of water over the entire earth. God gathers that water, water together, he forms and shapes the earth, and he makes the sea. Now, this isn't the same seas that we see today because you didn't have as much water as you had after the flood on the earth. And so, actually, there probably were land bridges where you could go anywhere on the earth. You could travel anywhere on earth if you wanted to. So, uh, uh, he gathers the, the water under the water can, canopy and under the firmament, and uh, he... Uh, provides a place for it, and we call it the seas. And uh, listen to what he says. He says, when he finished, he says, it is good. He said, it is good. Now, that's really a weak translation, because when we think of good, what do we think of? We think of, it's okay. Good is kind of okay. If you were to get some kind of survey in the mail, and they would ask you to rate a product or something, they would give you like four choices. They would give you bad, good, very good, and excellent. Everything God created was excellent. So what that word means right there, it was pleasant to God's eyes. He liked what he saw. When he had made that creation, God liked it. And I've got to tell you, if he liked it, I've got to believe when Adam and Eve were created, they liked it a lot too. We would have liked it a lot. And so it was, he says, it was good. All right, now, all right, let's go to verse number 11. I think, we're, yeah, let's read verse number 11. Okay, that's where we're at. Then God said, and I want you to look at the last part of that verse, and it was so. God said, and it was so. Now, what does that mean? God spoke it, and it happened. It wasn't in existence before God said it, and then it was in existence. So what we're learning from that, and we see that pattern over and over again in the first chapter of Genesis, what we're learning from that is that God created the heavens and the earth and everything on the earth, he created it out of nothing by his word. Now, I want to stop on that for just a minute because I think there's a danger of oversimplifying things when we look at this and it says, God said and it was so. 
what he, we mean by that, when we say God created it out of nothing, what we're saying is that uh, there, he didn't create it out of any pre-existing material. But you can't make light of the fact that God created this out of nothing. I mean, God didn't just say abracadabra and there, there was the earth and there was the, 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 the seas and the plants and the animals and, and all the stars in the sky. That's not the way he did it. God had all of this pre-planned in his mind. And so when we say out of nothing, we're, we're, really that's almost making light of what God's done because God, this came, all of this came out of the mind of God. The genetic code, the DNA for all of the plants and all of the animals, all of that came out of the mind of God. The, the neutrons and the protons and, and uh, the nucleus of all the atoms, those came out of the mind of God. All of those atoms put together and shaped into molecules that all came out of the mind of God. So there's a great thought, the thought processes of a great and infinite God going on here. So really, you can't say it came out of nothing. It came out of the mind of God. That's how he created these molecules that make matter. So anyway, God said, let the earth bring forth grass. I'm back in verse number 11. And the herb that yields seed and the fruit tree that yields fruit, now watch this, according to its kind. You think maybe God knew that, that evolution would become uh, the, the, the devil's way of trying to uh, prove that God doesn't exist? Uh, and so he says right here, and he made it that way. He, he said that he made the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind. And watch this, whose seed is in itself. That's very important. The seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and herb that yields seed according to its kind. And the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God again saw that it was good, and so the evening and the morning were the third day. Now, earlier in the day, when God moved these waters and he created the sea and, and dry land appeared, you had the most fertile land this earth has ever seen ready for crops. And, all, and God calls, says, let it be, let there be plant life, and God spoke these plants into existence. Now watch how he creates these plants, because that's important. Uh, he creates these plants as full-grown plants. Just like he created Adam and Eve as full-grown adults. He did not create them as babies. And so that explains why you have this appearance of age in the universe that might appear older than it really is. Uh, actually, these plants were full-grown, these trees were full-grown, and they were less than a day old. That's why, when I mean, God created the whole universe with the appearance of age. That's why when these, you see these stars that are millions and millions of light years away that are only are less than 10,000 years old, according to the creation account, they were created with the appearance of age. God created them 10,000 or 10 billion light years away, but he created that light and, at, at the same time, and it had the appearance of age even though it was less than 10,000 years old. Now, he creates, look at this passage here, he creates three categories of plant life here. He creates the grass, which is all the ground covering, the vines, the grass, the, uh, 
any type of vegetation that covers the ground. Then he created the herbs. That's the second type of plant that he created. And that would be the stalks, uh, uh, the bushes, uh, blueberry bushes. You like blueberries? That's when God, well, that's when God created the, the blueberry trees, tomato stalks, things like that. Uh, all of that was created on the third day. And then the third category would be the trees, and that's all the plants with wooden trunks, uh, including all the fruit trees. Now, notice, and this is what I want you to see here, that each plant was created with a seed within itself to allow it to reproduce itself. That's important. I, uh, I mean, God could have kept on creating and creating and creating, but he didn't do it that way. He set this up where, in a way, he could... He could be uh, transcendent. Uh, he could be imminent in his creation. He could do both of those things. And so he created everything so that it could reproduce itself. And all of these seeds contain the DNA and the genetic code next necessary for that reproduction. Now, that to me is one of the biggest holes in evolution. I mean, that's where they, they can't, explain themselves. I mean, you can say that a tadpole got two warts on its eyes, and over millions and millions of years, these tadpoles, uh, as, they, as they reproduced, uh, they, those warts developed in the eyes. How did they reproduce? How could you reproduce if you didn't have the seed within you to reproduce? How could you reproduce if you didn't have the sexual glands of both the male and female together at the same time in order to reproduce? And so when you say that that could happen over time, you're, you're saying the impossible can happen over time. And only God can do the impossible. And he did the impossible at, on, the first, on the third day of creation when he put these seeds within the plants so that they could reproduce themselves. Otherwise, nothing could evolve. Even if it evolved to this point, how could it re re uh, reproduce itself to evolve to another point? And so to say all these things evolved, they say the plants and trees evolved and the, and the animals evolved. To say all of these things evolved, they got a big problem with how, where's the seed? And, and where are the reproduction glands? And where's the male and where's the female that you have even in plant life? And so anyway, that's a big hole in the evolutionary account. All right, now, notice that here's the other thing you want to notice here. In this genetic code, it only determined reproduction of the same kind. That genetic code only allows reproduction, you get that, of the same kind. Listen, there is no such thing as a DNA code that allows for reproduction into a different kind. It's nowhere to be found. You can't find it. They've never found it. They never will find it. The, the, now, with that said, the DNA of a plant or a living being, the DNA code of a plant or living being certainly allows for variations within the kind. You can have great variations uh, within the kind. You can have a chihuahua and you can have a wolf all the way down the line. But it does, a, sh sh a chihuahua and a wolf, their DNA will not allow them to become a cat. That will never happen. All right. That's called, the, the variations that are within a kind are called horizontal vari, uh, variations, and then there are vertical variations which don't exist. There's no such thing where you can jump from one kind of being to another kind of being 
it, you can't do it because it's not in the code. And that's the way the creator designed the genetic information when he created uh, the plants on the third day and when he creates the, the uh, mankind on the sixth day. Uh, and so uh, Paul sa says basically the same thing over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Listen to what he says. He said, God gives each body its own seed so that all flesh is not the same flesh. But there is one kind of flesh of man, another kind of flesh of animals, another of fish, another of birds, according to their kind. Now, if you and I evolved from apes, then Paul is a liar. If you and I evolved from apes, Moses is a liar. Because mankind was created within, with their own seed according to their own kind. I tell you what, when you read the Genesis account that was written 3,500 years before there was even a microscope uh, and, or, and before there was even a telescope, uh, that's why it's so amazing when the Bible speaks of the stars being as the, the, the number of the stars being as the number of the sand, and then you see this genetic code, this DNA, uh, this seed within the plant according to its kind, uh, it's just amazing the Bible is so scientifically accurate. All right, now, let's look at the fourth day. Let's go to verses 14 through 16. It says, Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of heavens, of the firmaments of the heavens, to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth, and it was so. Then God made two great lights. Okay, we know what those two lights are. The greater light was the sun to rule the day. The lesser light was the moon to rule the night. And then listen to what he says right here. This is, I, I think this is absolutely amazing. He made the stars also. I also made the stars. I mean, it's almost as if they're an afterthought in God's mind. Now, certainly God had planned to make the stars before time began. I have no doubt about that. They're certainly a great part of his plan. But they don't carry the weight in creation that the earth does. And the reason they don't carry the weight that the earth does is because the earth is the center of the universe. And that's why when we see the account of the creation of the earth, we see all of these processes that went into that. We see the atmosphere created, the water system created, the animals created, the human race created. We see this, uh, this ecological system that is created to sustain life. We see all of this. Not only that, we see the raw materials that are within the earth uh, that are created that allow us to create all the things that make our life better. And so th there's just so much intensity uh, in the genius of God uh, focused on the earth, and it's not on the stars. I mean, most stars are made up of hydrogen and helium, and they've got a purpose. And, 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 those, and the hydrogen and helium in those stars fulfill their purpose. What's their purpose? Look at verse number 17. God set them in the firmament, of the heavens, watch this. Tell this to an evolutionist and he'll laugh at you. But I, I don't laugh at it. To give light on the earth. He set them there to give light on the earth and to rule over the day, to let us know what was day and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. There's that word Toby in the Hebrew again. It was good. He saw that these planets and stars in the heavens, and they were pleasant to him. He liked 
what he saw. But if you don't think the earth is the center of God's creation, then just look at the purpose of the stars. What's the purpose of the stars? I mean, God hung them out like decorations, like we hang out our Christmas lights. He hung them out for, for his creatures on earth to see, to tell us the difference between day and night, to shine their light on the earth so that we could see the glory of the stars. Now, why does God want us to see the glory of the stars? David hit it right on the head in Psalm 19.1. The heavens declare the glory of God. That's what the stars do. And the firmament of the stars in outer space show his handiwork. You look at Canis Majerus and you realize that God holds not only Canis Majerus, but he holds all of those one billion trillion stars and all the others in his hand and they will make you fall on your knees and worship the Lord when you look out at those stars. And I think one of the reasons our world has lost sight of God is that we've lost sight of the stars. We have so much ground light anymore that you don't see the stars anymore. I remember when I was pastoring in New Orleans and we took a group of little royal ambassadors from the housing project, uh, some black boys about uh, 10 to 15 years of age. And I remember we were crossing the causeway and one of the boys said, I've, I've never been across the causeway. That boy was like 12 years old. I've never been across the causeway in my life. And I asked all the boys, how many of y'all have ever been across the causeway? And, and uh, none of them raised their hand. I said, how many of y'all have never been out of the city of New Orleans? And they all raised their hand. They had never in their life been out of the city of New Orleans. And so all they had ever seen at night, the most they could see of God's handiwork was maybe, maybe the North Star and Venus the, uh, and, the, and the moon and the sun. And that was about it. That's all they ever saw. Maybe a few other little dots on an occasion, but that's all they ever saw. And they were growing up, and they, they hadn't seen God's handiwork. And so I was so glad that we were taking them over here to this Baptist camp on the North Shore, and we got out there that night, and they looked up at those stars, and you could see their eyes. And they were just so excited. They said, oh, this is so beautiful. And let me tell you what, that's nothing on the North Shore. You go out west and look at the stars. That was nothing. But God had, a, God had some more surprises for them. I mean, he had fireflies going through. They'd never seen a firefly. And then God shine the stars in the bushes. I mean, actually had the stars in the bushes. We took the flashlight, and we were about to, we were about to go down to the river, and, and there was all these little white lights in the bushes. And it was a herd of raccoons waiting to, for us to leave or go to sleep so they could come in and eat the s'mores that were laying on the ground and eat the pieces of hot dogs. I mean, you get a chance. You ever get a chance. Some of you have never been out west. You get a chance. Go out west. Get up high, like Mount, go to Mount Zion. Go to the Grand Canyon. And it's almost like you can reach up and you can touch those stars. And, and, and when, you, when, you, when you're in a situation like that, you'll be just like David. You'll say, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. The firmament of the stars in outer space uh, show his handiwork. And then the last verse that we'll look at today. He says, so the evening and the morning were the fourth day. So here we have, the earth is created, light has entered the universe, uh, we actually have uh, sunlight at this point, moonlight, God's glory's there, we, you know, nobody's there to see it but God. Uh, the waters are in place, 
The plant life is present. You've got the sun, the moon, the stars are all created. And you've got day and night. But God has saved the best for last. The living beings that he's going to create to enjoy this creation and to glorify him in the creation. We'll be looking at that next week. You know, I think there's just a great lesson here in these words. He made the stars also. So I want to I camp on that for just a second. Do you understand what he's saying when he says that? He says, he's saying that this little planet Earth, among all these great planets and stars, is the most important place in his universe. You get the lesson in that? You know what the lesson in that is? The size of something is not what determines its importance. What determines its importance is, it, is how important it is to God. That is a lesson that God has been trying to teach me ever since I've been saved. The size of things is not what matters. What matters is it important to God. That's what matters. A couple of months back, a couple of months ago, Eli and Kaylee told us they were about to move back to Lafayette. And we were all excited. Brenda and I were all excited. And right after that happened, I was praying, and it's almost, I didn't hear it audibly, but it's almost like I heard the Lord say, I want you to take care of little James while Kaylee and Eli are in school. And I immediately said, no way. <laughs> I didn't hear that. Lord, I'm a PhD. I told, I got bigger things to do than to change diapers. I told Roy this story, and as soon as I told him the story, he shot back at me. He said, yeah, you're a Ph.D. Ph.D. means uh, pastor handles diapers. <laughs> but anyway, I continued to pray about it, and I was going to pray about it until they started school and had him in daycare. And, and, and that was kind of my plan, because I was going to really have to get a word from God, and uh, I guess, you know, three or four weeks before we had to make a decision on whether or not we would tell Eli and Kaylee we wanted to maybe keep him, uh, uh, Brenda walks in my office one morning. She says, I got to tell you, God's been speaking to my heart, and I think he wants us to keep little James. <laughs> and I said, Brenda, do you know what you're saying? You realize how we just gained all of this freedom with this empty nest? Italy and Germany and all these things. You know, we're not going to have that anymore. She said, well, I understand that, but I really think God's telling me, uh, I said, telling me that we ought to keep little James. I said, well, we'll pray about it. We'll pray about it together and we'll pray about it some more. And, and uh, we, we began to pray. And then it came time, it came time for for the, to, we had to let them know or tell them that we wanted to maybe want to do this. And, and it came time, and I said, 
uh, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm going to do one of these things where I'm going to open the Bible and I'm going to do this. You've got to be careful with that because you might come upon Judas hung himself. So you, you don't necessarily want to do that. But if you, if, you're not, if you don't know, the name James means, in the Hebrew, is Jacob. And, and so I flipped open my Bible to Amos chapter 7, and here's what I read. If I can find it. Help Jacob to stand, for he is so small. So what do you do with that? So I said, Brenda, I, I think the Lord wants us, I think you're right, I think the Lord wants us to keep little James. So we took on the task. Somebody said today, I hear you're babysitting your, your grandson. Look, it's not babysitting. It's keeping a member of your family. Someone that seems so small and maybe so insignificant to this world, but someone who's very important to God. And James has taught me a lot of theology lessons, a lot of theology. And now got me new illustrations. That's what's going to be great. But one of the theology lessons he taught me, you know, I've always told you that kids have a sin nature. James don't have a sin nature. I'm sure Blaze and Monica think the same thing about uh, Ezekiel and Danielle. But uh, he might have a little bit of a sin nature. But before I tell you, he's almost perfect. But that, I know God, I know, I know that's why, what, what the, one of the reasons God does that is to keep showing me again and again and again that it's not the small thing, not the big things that are so important, it's the small things you do that are really important. About, I think about a few months after we moved in this building, we got a letter in the mailbox, and it was from a prisoner in a prison here in Louisiana. And he, in the letter, he just reached out. And he said, if there, would, I, if there would be somebody in your church that would like to write me and communicate with me, I'm a strong believer, made a mess of my life, I'm in prison. I would really like to have contact with somebody on the outside that's a strong believer. Well, what do you do with that? You hand that off to somebody else? No, you... you you become that person's pen pile. And for four years, I've been writing back and forth with this prisoner. And I got a letter from him this week. And, and he said, I'm writing this letter in tears. He said, I am so blessed that someone outside who's a strong Christian would take the time that you've taken over these years to communicate with me. I mean, a few letters here and there. I mean, maybe I've written, we've communicated maybe 15, 20 letters over those years. A small thing, but a really big, important thing to him. A really big, important thing to God. You know, when Amos prayed that prayer that I landed on when, when we decided to keep James, 
He, he prayed, oh, Lord, help Jacob to stand, for he is so small. The Jacob he was referring to was who? He was referring to the nation of Israel. You think maybe God's answered that prayer over the years? You think maybe he's helped Jacob to stand? You better believe he has. I mean, here's this little insignificant nation that the world hates. But that little nation is the most important nation in the world to God. You know, and you can apply that principle to anything. I look at this church. I mean, we're one of the smallest churches in town. But that doesn't mean we're the least important in town. I've got a hunch. We're high up on God's list of churches. That person sitting next to you right now. Now, there's some exceptions in here. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> that person sitting next to you, I can tell you right now, they're not a doctor or a lawyer or a great politician. In the world's eyes, I don't, I don't know we have any great people in this room. But that person sitting next to you might very well be one of the most important people in the world. And I'll tell you this, if they are a child of God, they are one of the most important people, or they are the most important people in the world. You look around your home, you look at your family, those are people are important to God. The people at your workplace, they're important to God. And our greatest rewards when we get to heaven won't be based upon the size of the things we've done. Our greatest rewards will be based upon our faithfulness in doing the things that are important to God and serving those people that are important to God, to helping those people stand in this dark society in which we live. Those are the things that are important to God. And I'll tell you this, if we make ourselves available, if you just simply go to your prayer room and make yourself available, God will show you what's important to him. God will direct you. You might not like it at times, but he'll direct you to places where you can minister to the people that are important to him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the opportunities you give us in life to serve you by serving others. Father, there's so many things that we ignore around us because they don't seem significant. Lord, help us to see the significance of the people you've put in the past ways of our life. Lord, help us to care. Help us not be looking to become famous or to to do something big and as much, Lord, as to serve you and to serve those people that you've called us to serve. Lord, you know who they are. Put those people in our lives, Lord, and help us to be obedient to you. Just as your son was obedient to the cross, just as he died for all of us, came to this little insignificant earth to die for insignificant people, so that, Lord, you could, we could be made into the very children of God. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for his blood. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.